Hi, my name is Dylan Benyon, and you're listening to another episode of the Cognition & Co. podcast, Psychology in South Africa. I know it's been a while since our last episode, but I'm very, very excited to introduce you to my guest today, counseling psychologist Leka Deya. Leka is the acting head of psychology for the Transit Foundation on the Pella Pepper Healthcare Train. She's here today to tell us a little bit more about what that Pella Pepper Train is and what exactly happens on it. Let's jump right in. Okay, we've got a very special guest on tonight, one of my favorite counseling psychologists in the world. Um, somebody that was instrumental in uh, in helping me get into my master's program and actually helping me find counseling psychology. So expect that as a theme um, throughout this podcast. But yeah, I wanted to introduce uh, Lekka to the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dylan. It's it's such a privilege to be on Cognition Co's podcast. I'm excited for us to have a conversation today and appreciate you having me on. Of course, of course. This is something we've been kind of chatting about for a little bit of time now. So I'm glad that we finally knuckled down, got our schedules to line up and, you know, get this one underway. Um, So I guess before we start, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, and what it is you do? Okay, so my name is Leka. I am first and foremost a work in progress. I'm a counseling psychologist by profession, by training, and I would say at at my core, a advocate for mental health. Um, even prior to me becoming a psychologist, I am focused on creating social change, finding a way to to bridge the accessibility gap of mental health care in our country. I'm currently the acting head of psychology on one of the Pillar Pepper trains, which is run by the Transnet Foundation. I've been in that role for the better part of 2021. I did a Bachelor of Social Science at UKZN for my undergrad, majored in psych and crim, really enjoyed the criminology part of that, and went back to my roots in the Eastern Cape, did a honors in psych at what was then called NMMU and did my master's in counseling psychology at Rhodes University. Down in Makanda, I had a a really um, rich experience, I would say. In in my master's year, I had great access to to wonderful teachers, trained in my internship down in Makanda as well at Rhodes University, and completed the second half of my training at PSYCAD at the University of Johannesburg. I've been a registered counselor since 2013. I worked in the corporate wellness sector, but I would, to sum up my professional experience, it's, it's, it's been divided between corporate wellness, the education sector, and the NGO slash NPO sector. So that's where I've had the opportunity to apply psychology in the past 10 years. Amazing. Um, that all is very, very broad in terms of the, the your interests and where your passions lie there. What uh, what made you you decide on counseling psychology specifically, if you don't mind me asking? So I'll, I mean, as you know, and as you've so kindly mentioned in your intro for me, it's it's something that's very our our brand as counseling psychologists. And I'm so glad to have you on board come 2022. But <laughs> me too. it's me something too. <laughs> It's something that needs some work in not just in our context as South Africans, but globally. And I wasn't too sure of what counseling psychology was when I decided I wanted to be a psychologist. I, and I think many can relate to this, was aware of clinical psychology and yeah. the brand that is clinical psychology, the status that is clinical psychology, and the opportunities that are attached to, to being a clinical psychologist. And I applied initially for my master's back in 2015 to the ClinPsych program, didn't get in, reflected as we do post, uh, post-rejection, post reflected, mm-hmm. did a little bit of research, packed that away, went and got some work experience, come 2016, 2017, and I decide, let me find out a bit more about what counseling psychology actually is did some research, read a few articles, most of them written by by Prof. Charles Young from Rhodes University, who's done a great deal of research on counseling psychology, what our value base is, what differentiates us from other registrations, 
read a bit of his work, spoke to a few other counseling psychologists that I had access to at my current workplace. And I would say the reason I chose the specialty of psychology is because of the value base that is so centered on advocacy, uh, social impact, the, the how do you give voice to those that are voiceless? How do you find a way to apply psychology within community settings, within um, settings that otherwise wouldn't have access to psychologists? So I looked through, I spoke to other counseling psychologists and it was a no brainer for me. I, I decided, you know, this was a specialty. And as I entered and, and started my training and went through my M1, I, I had access to counseling psychologists that were trying to advocate for our brand, which I've now taken on as part of my mm. mission too. And I think it just it just it just ties in with a lot of the the value base that's shared between myself as a counseling psychologist and many that are in the profession of advocating. Advocating. It's something that's core and central to who I am. So, so, so that's how I landed in counseling psych. I love that because what the story that you just told is the story that became my story as well. And you were the individual that helped me come to that realization. There were some other psychologists that also played a role in finding where my niche might be. But I think it's through through our like chance meeting that uh, that we got talking about your scope of practice your passion for counseling psychology um, as well as a couple of the papers that that you're speaking of now by by prof charles young and um it's it's what helped me find my, my way through it as well it it was in hearing you speak about what you want to do in counseling psychology that made me understand more about where i was already working and was maybe misguided thinking that what i was doing with cognition and co was was going to attribute myself towards a more clinical scope and in retrospect um, i'm able to see now that the work that i've been doing over the past three three years now has been way more community-based, more counseling-based in terms of what that scope of practice looks like. So, I mean, from, from my side, I'm so appreciative that you had that sort of experience and was able to subjectively and empathetically, you know, pass it towards me in a way that I was able to open up and reflect. Because I think the first time I heard somebody say, why don't you apply for for counseling psychology, I think it was a bit of a bitter pull to swallow, right? I was so dead set mm -hmm. on, on clinical psychology and I was so certain that that's what was going to happen. Even afterwards, I still found myself, um, you know, saying clinical when I mean counseling now, like, oh, I've been accepted for clinical, I mean counseling program because that's how ingrained it was within me, whether that's Freudian, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, thank you. Thank you so much for how much you've contributed towards my understanding of this field. And, uh, you know, like somebody like Charles Young has said, you know, counseling psychology has almost been seen as the underdog for so long. And I think we need individuals like yourself and myself and um, Prof Young to, to advocate for this field so that we can advocate for the people around that we're supposed to be helping. So, yeah, I think we need, we need more counseling psychologists out there that are are brave enough to face the, the the low pay that comes with internship um, for the sake <laughs> of, of doing incredible work out there in the communities um, and, and more of the stuff that we're going to speak about today. Uh, I'm going to stop taking up so much time now and give it back to you to talk a little bit about, you know, the counseling psychologist scope. Well, you know, Dylan, it's, it's, it's a contentious debate, as you're fully aware, in terms of scope of practice through the HPCSA. I think as a identity, counseling psychology in our country has a long way to go. Mm -hmm. The more of us that get on board and understand and then take pride in the specialty, I think we can edge to a point where we ourselves are more secure. And when you introduce yourself, and I'm sure the counseling psychologists that are listening to this podcast might have a chuckle. When you introduce yourself in a room full of people, instead of saying I'm a psychologist, you stand up and you say, hi, my name is Dylan May and I'm a counseling psychologist. And someone might look at you and be a little confused and you then know exactly how to explain what it is that you do. Um, referring to scope of practice, it, it, my understanding of our scope of practice as, as, as counseling psychologists is that 
at times, if you if if you choose to view it, you could view it as limiting. You could view it as something that has sidelined counselling psychologists in terms of medical aid, in terms of insurance, in terms of um, status. My understanding of counselling psychology SOP is that we are dealing with adjustment stresses. We're dealing with developmental stresses. I'm quoting from our scope of practice. We're dealing with mild to moderate psychological and psychopathological issues. Mm-hmm. Although the word psychopathology is not included in the HPCSA scope of practice for counseling psychologists, counseling psychologists do treat psychopathology. I actually have a friend that's doing her, her, her doctoral degree at the moment on counseling psychologists' careers. And if I, if I could call up some stats from that, I think there's yes, one in specific. Do. There's one in specific, and she's given me permission for this. Mm-hmm. So she's interviewed, she's interviewed 1,709, 1,709 counseling psychologists, South African counseling psychologists. Wow. 80, 80% of whom are female, 20% are male, racial demographic, 74% white, 13% black African, 5% Indian, 5% colored. So that's just the, the demographic. I think that's a podcast for another day. But the, 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 one that's, the one that struck me was 50% of counseling psychologists that she, that she interviewed are in private practice. 80% are currently seeking employment outside of private practice. And I found that mm. something that I think perhaps I was aware of in the back of my mind, but seeing the, seeing the numbers made me think and wonder where is the dissatisfaction if it is dissatisfaction coming from in these counseling psychologists and how do we move forward in terms of job creation and creating opportunities that are decent enough in terms of remuneration for counseling psychologists to find work that is aligned with this value base that I've just mentioned which so many of us share and in that sense, I would say that our scope of practice is quite aligned with, for example, the work that I'm currently doing on transmits pillow pepper train. It, it, in that sense, really articulates the a majority of our population's issues. I'm removing the perhaps two to five percent that are dealing with severe psychiatric issues, which is not something that counseling psychologists are trained to treat. Mm-hmm. Personally, in terms of scope of practice, I think that the lines are blurred between counseling and clinical psychologists. The lines are blurred as well between counseling and educational psychologists. And I do think that a clinical psychologist can do what a counseling psychologist does if they have the training and experience and vice versa. Where the advocacy comes in is counseling psychologists needing to advocate for what it is that makes them unique. I don't think that our scope of practice encapsulates that as much as it could. If I could do it over again, I would still choose counseling psychology because I I now know what I am able to do that a clinical psychologist cannot do. For example, going through career assessment and counseling at these very critical inflection points that young people are at, which is really important to me in my work, uh, grade nine, grade 11, third year, Clinical psychologists are not trained to do that kind of work. And, and it's rare to find a clinical psychologist that markets themselves with that within their skill set. Sure. Similar to how it would be, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to go and do a forensic assessment. I wouldn't be able to assess for criminal capacity. So, uh, you know, it's a tough one. It's, it's a really tough one because it is a struggle as a counseling psychologist. It is a hassle and it's a struggle. And at some point, you're tired of hustling and tired of struggling and you want things to come easy. But I don't think com- things come easy to Kinsikes either. No, at the end of the day, if you choose, when you look at your life post-training, if you choose to go into private practice, it's, it's, it's fair game to, to a certain extent. And what's going to make a client come back to you is, in essence, who you are, not necessarily the specialty that you've chosen. I really like that. It's it's who you are, and you know, not necessarily your your scope of practice or your registration. Um, what it comes down to in that room is, you know, the person sitting across from them. 
um, and whether they feel heard or whether they feel like a space has been created for them. So I think that that's very beautiful. I like that analogy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the, the scope of practice are unnecessarily boxing us. I think we should all be general psychologists and we should then specialize. I, I tend to agree with you there as well. I think it would uh, alleviate a lot of the medical aid issues that we deal with. <laughs> okay, let's jump into the Pelopip train. Uh, this is something that I'd heard of, I think, for my f- the first time when I was doing my honors, right? I think it was a little write-up on, on what this initiative is. and but But over my time, working within this field I've kind of had a better understanding and I think what's really nice now is we get somebody that's on the train currently to kind of give us more details as to what this what this initiative is where it started you know everything that that I think people want to know about it but also I think like wrap a little bit for what the train is doing and what you guys on the train are doing because it's such an incredible initiative. At first, I kind of thought, is it even a real train? Like, I know they call it a train, but is it not just like a, a coach that's been like left somewhere and, you know, now we send people off into whatever area and, uh, you know, that's the little like hospital that's been built. But I was, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that it's actually a real train that travels across the country. <laughs> It's a real train, Dylan. It's a real train. It moves. <laughs> the engineering is fit for movement. It's a well-oiled machine. And I think, you know, I, I feel, I, I also feel privileged to be in a position where I can give a little bit more information on, on the Pelopepa as a whole and, and specifically on the psychology clinic. I'll speak for the psychology clinic on the train that I'm currently on. We have two trains that are running concurrently throughout the year, but I think let me let me start first with a brief introduction of, of the Pelopepa as the project. The project was, I would say, in its conceptual phases as early back as 1993. So the, the powers that be and the brains that brought this together put it together in 1993, rolled it out as a very modest three-coach optometry clinic. So it was an eye clinic, what we call on our train an eye clinic, where optometrists are on board, um, optical assistants are on board, and screening for, for, for any sort of op, um, ophthalmological issues, as well as eye issues, as well as need for glasses, et cetera, were done. So started running as a three-coach optometry clinic, huge success. I would say at this stage, 27, 28 years later, the eye clinic is the most in demand. The amount of access that our rural populations have to affordable optometrists is shocking. So our eye clinic is in, is in, is in high demand. So it started off as that and then started to extend. And in terms of a timeline, at around about 2009, we got to our current length, which is 19 coaches in total. Wow, that's big. So they started to add, it's, it's, it's massive. They started to add on the different clinics. By 2012, we launched Pelopepa 2, which is the train that I'm currently working on. And at the moment, we have two trains running for about 35 to 36, sometimes a little bit less weeks for the year, running from January through to October. And we service up to 70 rural I would say towns or areas throughout South Africa. Wow. Our mandate as a project, our mandate as a project is to station in towns for two week periods where we know for certain, based off the research that our team has done, our social mobilizers have done, where we know for sure that the people in these populations really have little to no access to good quality basic healthcare. Sure. We would move, we'd stay stationed for a two-week period. After that two-week period, we'd move through to the next area within the province. This year on, on, on our train, we've been in the KZN province, in the Gauteng province, and currently we are in Kronstadt in the Free State province. So that's, I think, just a little a nutshell of, of, of where we come from. The words Pelo Pepa come from, it's a combination of Sisutu and Setswana, languages and if we translate it it means good clean health which I do think and I see day to day we try to embody in the work that we do Uh, we we really prioritize quality 
quality healthcare and in the psych clinic for me what that means is focusing on translating the language of psychology and mental health into rural South Africa in a way that is palatable, in a way that is digestible, in a way that's culturally informed, in a way that's trauma-informed. And for me, as, as the manager of this clinic, that's been my mission for this year. So incredible. I mean, it's it's such a, a vital need. And you know, there aren't many, not many medical professionals, psychological professionals going into these areas um, to, to meet those needs. Uh, and and the train definitely does that. It's it's what I remember about about learning about it initially, right? It was this train when I did find out that it was an actual train um, <laughs> <laughs> that goes around and predominantly works within these rural areas. Um, I also really like the the sort of modular design, right, of like the different carriages. So it's like, oh, we need like a chiropractic clinic now. Like, okay, cool, just add a chiropractor into like a new train, like. It, it makes sense, right? It's kind of like a like a all-encompassing wellness train. It's it's beautiful, but something I do want to chat about a little bit more is what you mentioned there in terms of the barriers, right? In terms of culture, in terms of language, you know, when you are going to such rural areas of the country, there must be such disparity in what you're trying to do in terms of where you're trying to get to and where you're starting at. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know you touched on it now already, but like the, 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 those are big barriers to specifically mental health, right? Because the language that we use in psychology can be quite confusing and sound very, uh, very much like jargon when spoken to somebody that, that is maybe even struggling with just English, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we can, you know, and thank you for raising that. That's such a good point, um, Dylan. It, it's, it's something that comes up for me personally, and I think within my team in the psych clinic daily. So I, I, I haven't worked personally in a project that has such an opportunity to translate the Western language of psychology into an African context in the way that the Pillow Paper does. As challenging as it is, it's, it's, it's a perfect opportunity to develop as a clinician your own way of finding different words to get the same message across that perhaps you received in your training or in the work that you've done as a counselor, social worker, or psychologist. In terms of mental health professionals, those are the three categories that we have working on either of our trains at any given time. So I would say a, a, a big role in that is you yourself as someone that's working in the psych clinic first identify that there, there are issues with the language of psychology, aside from the stigma, which I think, you know, you and I can both go on about and people listening to the podcast can, can also go on about, aside mm -hmm. from the stigma of accessing mental health care. People, at least what I've seen in my work in this clinic, don't have the basic language to attach to their emotional or psychological world or what it is that they're experiencing from a mental perspective. When, when we do the work in, in, in this clinic, I think you learn as you go. I've learned as I've, as I've gone along of how do you on a really basic level assist the person in front of you to connect. This is my history. These are my current thoughts. This is the way it's affecting my behavior. These are my belief system. Uh, these are the consequences of what I'm doing, of the choices that I'm making, the behaviors that I have. And this is where I want to see myself going forward in my life in whatever capacity. What I can say is it's a conscious daily effort, but it is so possible. It sounds, it sounds to me that you are sort of on the forefront of like this, this, uh, this change from, or this transformation from the Western perspective to the African um, perspective. Uh, and it sounds to me like you should probably be doing research and publishing uh, <laughs> <laughs> what you're doing at the moment. Because 
like really like it's like you you are on the on the right on the the, the border of of where this is happening and where where this should start where african psychology and decolonization of psychology should be applied um there's still i think a, a great deal of the western perspective that you use and attribute to to keep helping these individuals understand and grow but i think there's so much of the african side that needs to come through here and definitely i think like I think you're supposed to be, you know, writing this stuff down. <laughs> People need to know this. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing it down without references. <laughs> Is that not good enough? <laughs> as long as you're paraphrasing appropriately, right? Um, you're not going to get into any citation trouble there. But no, I definitely think, and, and maybe that's something we can, we can kind of cast out there into the world, right? That if there are students that are interested in, the transformation, the decolonization of psychology in South Africa, that, that the Pelopelo train might be an interesting place to start and gaining a perspective from the psychologists that are on the Pelopelo train, I think could really, really help you find the sort of research questions and the hypotheses that you're looking for in terms of the start small and, and you know, you never know where this could get to. Mm-hmm. 100%. I, I think it, it's, it would be a great research opportunity, and I'm open to to you know engaging with 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 M1 students or M2 students that are wanting to focus on what are we actually doing to translate the language of psychology into uh, black communities. I would be more than welcome to to open up the clinic in in some way or the other to to have that kind of research be done. It's, it's, it's really important, not just for psychologists that are working in the psychology clinic. I'm going to speak for Pillow Pepper 2 at the moment. Our team is comprised of two psychologists and between every two weeks, between three to four social workers. Okay. And this is a, a marriage that the manager that came before me was really passionate about, <clears throat> which I'm so appreciative of because the amount of psychosocial trauma and psychosocial issues that we deal with and that are faced with and that come to us in the work, it makes perfect sense that we have a marriage between social workers and psychologists. And day to day, we learn from each other. um, And I've seen how social work and psychology as two disciplines coming together is the only combination that makes sense when working in rural South Africa, when working in... Uh, communities where most of the individuals are living with symptoms that are coming from unemployment, mm-hmm. violence at home, substance abuse, um, child abuse. I, I cannot separate these issues from unemployment. So social workers are perfectly positioned in that sense to be able to identify, assess and tackle and then combine some of the psychological theory to, to intervene to assess, to refer, to provide the counseling. Um, it's something that I wanted to raise in, in our conversation today on, on I think there's, there's so many levels and hierarchies within mental health professions and all, I would say all professions. Mm. And social workers being made to feel that they are lesser than social workers, lesser than psychologists, is a disservice in a, in, a, in a context like South Africa. Tell us a little bit more about your sort of your, your day-to-day on, on the train. What does that look like? You know, we've been doing, we've been doing this, this, uh, this takeover on our Instagram page lately, and the students have really enjoyed knowing what our sort of psychologists and mental health professionals do on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's, that's quite appropriate for, for this environment as well. What do you, what do you get up to in, in a concentrated version of uh, a day on the Pelopepa train? All righty. So a day in the in the psychology clinic, maybe I can start just with a brief indication. I didn't mention previously with the, the different clinics that we have. So let me quickly just, just mention for those that aren't familiar with the Pelo Pepper. So we we have a an eye clinic, an optometry clinic, we have a dental clinic, we have a health clinic, we have a pharmacy, we have a psychology clinic. So those are our major different health professionals that 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 operate the psychology clinics services are completely free on both trains and the other clinics are really affordable you you, you can get eye drops for five rand patients pay five rand for their scripts of medicine spectacles are 30 rand the dental clinic has free screening free cleaning 
um, dental education and then to extract teeth. It's 10 rand. Wow. It's really affordable. Yeah. So in psych, Dylan, free services are free. And I would say our two main functions are counseling. So counseling on board the train. We are in coach 10. Uh, and we have three counseling rooms, which are private, safe, confidential, really pretty as well with different colored walls. Those that have been on the train or trained on the train as M1s would, would reminisce when they hear that. So we see on board the train people for individual counseling, couples counseling, family counseling. Uh, we see a lot of learners that come through with their parents. So that we do on board. And I would say that makes up on this train, about 30% of the psychology clinic's time. The other 70% is spent doing outreach, doing community outreach so that we can reach people that aren't able to get to our train, are um, prevented by the stigma of coming to the train, which is something that we see on a day-to-day. -day. So we really focus heavily on doing community outreach and we target learners at school, we target the elderly, we target survivors of sexual assault, gender-based violence, domestic violence, etc. We go into the Department of Correctional Services and we run outreach programs with inmates. We, we see all sorts. But again, targeting demographic or people that really perhaps haven't had access to a workshop or a talk or a conversation on mental health. The topics that we, that we run in our outreach range from uh, substance abuse, through to HIV and AIDS, through to suicide, depression, stress management, which we do a lot with our educators at schools. Mm. We, we run sessions on communication skills. Uh, how do you establish healthy relationships? Um, how do you deal with violence? We, we run a lot of, of programs on child abuse and rape in our schools, specifically in our primary schools. We do career guidance. We do study skills, mostly for our secondary school learners. And we have a really cool initiative, um, which we call the Teenage Health Program, where we would identify a few rural schools surrounding our train, and we would get high schoolers, both boys and girls, to have a day where we run workshops on uh, consent, where we run workshops on, um, uh, you know, gender relations, uh, sexuality, values, self-awareness. Wow. We have partners that partner with us in the psych clinic and would come through and hand out health packages, uh, free sanitary pads, which we know is a pandemic on its own for girls mm -hmm. that don't have access. So that, that we love uh, as, as a team because we, we really get a sense to get an, an opportunity to talk to young people about their bodies and how are they navigating it. So the Teenage wow. Health Program is something really cool um, that I personally uh, love. Uh, so yeah, those are, those are the two main things that we do. That's that's incredible. That's there's so much inside that. Like there's so many different aspects that you know I didn't even consider. The outreach aspect of it is is, is amazing. Uh, my my perspective on it was that you know you'd have a coach that had a couple of like soundproof rooms in it, and that would basically be it. You just sit in the room all day and you counsel. But I love the fact that there's there's things off the train as well that uh, that contributes to to what you guys do. How, how sort of receptive are individuals in those areas to, to some of the psychological things that, that come up? Do, are, they, are they open to listening and understanding like the therapeutic help that you're giving them? Um, or is it, is it at times kind of like, like is there still such a, such a heavy stigma on it? I love that you're bringing that up. I think language plays a big role in that. For example, where I am crippled is that I can only speak English. So in 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 outreach and workshop settings where i'm facilitating a session it's a challenge for me personally as an english speaking person to facilitate a workshop perhaps where all of the participants are 60 and above because they are speaking in in their mother tongue and rightfully so yeah. with learners that that maybe are below grade eight perhaps they haven't gotten to the point where they feel comfortable enough to articulate themselves and their feelings in english not having had that many years doing English as a subject sure. 
In that case, I'd have a translator that assists me. Okay. In terms of people being receptive, it it's not always easy. It's not always easy. And I had a conversation today about this where there's a little extra work in psychology that we need to do. There's, there's a little more making people feel comfortable explaining what psychology is at a basic level, explaining why our mental health is important before we get into the topic. If we're speaking about alcohol and drug abuse, for example, to not go straight in. Sure. We, we, we try to, to, to loosen people up. We try to make people feel safe and comfortable. And I think that psych does have a bit more work in doing that, but work that will happily take on. Because eventually we do get to a point, maybe sometimes 45 minutes in, where the message is being received, people are participating, feeling comfortable enough to raise their hand and ask questions. I do think that these messages around mental health and well-being, but also the content of the, of the topics that we're, we're discussing, when communicated in someone's home language does a world of wonders yeah yeah sure it, 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 it's it's transformative and uh, we're heading in the right direction with with recruiting more more black south african psychologists not just south african but black psychologists into our m1 programs because we need that yeah i mean you read the statistics of earlier and it's very telling that the trans- transformative goals that the universities have for for taking students is needed i mean what was your statistic there 70 percent 70% what? No? Mm, for counseling psych. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 massive, right? We, we definitely need more individuals. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why we're probably not getting into these rural areas is that we're just not making, well, there just aren't enough psychologists coming from these rural areas and therefore not not even understanding that there are these these issues um, in those areas. So, so getting back to them, that's only so many psychologists are going to understand that there's, there's real trouble there, there's real issues there. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, it's 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 challenging, but you find a way. On the ground, you find a way to get the message across, and we get it across. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask a little bit about as well is that how often do you end up in the same place? I mean, obviously, with psychology and and the, the therapeutics that that we're kind of taught, it's, it's usually longer than the two week stay that you guys have there. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that you don't often get the opportunity to see somebody, you know, twice in a, in a, in a visit or, or, you know, more long-term. Um, and I know for some psychologists that that could be a challenge, you know, they, they want to know that they are, you know, the feedback that you get knowing that somebody is now functioning slightly better than before you got there. I think that's, that's part of one of the rewards that being a psychologist gives. You probably don't get that all the time. How, how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. On a personal level, it is difficult. On a personal level, it is difficult because I would like to get a sense of what now? Where are you now? What happened after our session or after our outreach? In in terms of working in in a lot of NGOs or NPOs and then working in a project such as the Pelopepa, I think this is where relationships and networks that you've created within that community are critical what we do weeks in advance before we arrive to a station is we have a dedicated team that goes out and does thorough research on the ground identifies okay i'm speaking for the site clinic now this is the psychologist that is within that district this is the social worker that that is within that district that being said dylan in most of the areas that i've been through throughout this year there isn't a psychologist available in that district. Sure. There is supposed to be a social worker, but we cannot find the person. Perhaps they are burdened by their caseload. Perhaps they've moved to a different district. So resources really are slim. But what we do do is we identify where available, people that we can then refer to. We, we, we try to pack as much as possible into every single counseling session and every single outreach session, knowing full well that there's a high chance you're never going to see that person again. So our counseling sessions can run from 60 minutes to 90 minutes. And at some, at some points with a high-risk case or with a really traumatic case, maybe two hours. We we know full well that person might never return. So we do write 
we write a referral letter, we are quite explicit on what it is that we think the intervention needs to be going forward and what it is that we picked up in our session. And we send that through to, to the people that we have identified that are available and that can follow up. And we hope, we, we hope that what we've done in that session has shifted the mindset and the stigma to the point where that person does take that referral letter and says, okay, I've now had the session for one and a half hours. It wasn't that threatening. I'm going to continue because I know I need counseling. And so a big part of the work that we're doing in psychology, yes, it's providing skills for coping. It's providing insight. It's it's, um, comforting, supporting, validating. But it's also being the very first mental health professional that this person has come into contact with and being a representative for mental health as a whole to allow that person to continue on that journey when we've left. Yeah, that's that's such a difficult role to play. Um, you basically, like, it seems it seems so like oh easy. Uh, I'm sure the psychology students that are listening, like, oh, of course I'd, I'd listen and that'd be fine. But you're you're effectively creating a paradigm shift in that person's brain to say, I want to continue with this. This felt this felt good enough that I want to I want to try to do this more. And that's got a, that's such a challenging thing to do with somebody that that has you know, very little, you know, understanding of, of what therapy is, um, or even like you said earlier, there's sort of reflective capacity um, to try and explain that in a language that might not even be their first language. Um, and you're trying to do that across the language barrier for many of that as well. I mean, that, that just, it, that's a massive challenge. And, and maybe as somebody that hasn't trained yet, it seems slightly out of my reach, but, uh, but you must be, you must be doing a good job. It must be working. Otherwise, there wouldn't be the the, the Pelopepa train. You know, the, the outreach must be working. We hope so, Dylan. It's, it's you know, anyone that asks me about the work that we're doing on in psych, at least on the Pelopepa, uh, and I'll be frank, and you know me to be that way, it is equally disturbing as it is rewarding. And it's about identifying individuals, and this is for psychologists perhaps in the future and students that are wanting to come on board when we are able to get students back on board. To, to, to really um, reckon with before you come and whilst you're on the train. How do you see the wood from the trees? How do you maintain some sort of uh, resilience and, and hope and commitment to the mission of advocating for mental health and, 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 and equipping people within the majority of our population without getting bogged down and, and, and caught up by what we don't have, because we really don't have a lot. We really don't have a lot. Uh, one of my biggest recommendations when I leave each place is that please can the Department of Social Development avail new posts for social workers <laughs> so that our young people have people to go to where they can report the abuse that they're enduring, et cetera, et cetera. But not to say that I'm positive every day of the week, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, it's really tough and, 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 and you know, you, you, you all, you find a way, I think, whether you're doing work in the community or whether you're in your private practice, because all of it is taxing in different ways. You find a way to navigate that and still find a way to stay true to what your mission is as a psychologist or as a mental health professional in this country. We can't just do this, you know, two weeks a year in this town and expect everything to get better. Like we have to leave we have, to, we have to put people here while we're gone to kind of, you know, continue the work that we're doing. And I think that's so important as well. Like we spoke about earlier, you know, we need we need people going back into these, these communities. It would be great if we had hundreds of better paper trains or other sort of mobile counseling units. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's something that, you know, funding is, is limited. It just in general, mental health, I think one of the papers I read recently says that of the healthcare budget, less than 5%, um, is making it towards mental health care. Um, wow. And that's scary. I mean, wow. that's, and at the same time, luckily we have places like Transnet that are putting together initiatives like the Bell Pepper Train so that we can actually get there, even if it's just for two weeks, because, you know, if that paradigm shift happens for one person, that's potentially one person that you might have saved. Mm-hmm. And that's one more person that we need to contribute to, to our society and to our community. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully the sort of butterfly effect that you guys are having, having, that's not a word, are having, um, will start <laughs> to 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 trickle up 
you know, towards government and they'll be able to see like, listen, this is the kind of benefits we can get just out of two trains traveling around the country. Imagine if we put a little bit more into this. Let's, let's take it up to 6% or maybe 7%. Imagine what we can achieve then. Um, when we really have individuals doing as much as what you're doing. Um, so thank you Absolutely. From, from South Africa. If, if you don't get it enough, thank you. Um, you're, doing, you're doing some incredible work there. You mentioned something earlier as well that I wanted to touch on, um, and it involves the, the sort of training for psychology students. I know a lot of psychology students and now psychologists that, that did rotations on the Pelopepa train around the country. I know that's obviously not happening um, to, to that sort of extent anymore with COVID. Um, but the last time we spoke, you said you were hoping that potentially for next year, it might open up again, that, that mm -hmm. the can, can, can be part of a training uh, rotation for, for, for counseling students. Definitely. It would, it would, it's just, it's an, it's an enriching experience, both for the student and for the Pelopepa as a project, as well as the communities that the students are serving. So it's just mutually beneficial in so many ways. COVID has taken that away from us, but historically for, for at least two decades, students have been on board in all of our clinics. So final year students would, would come through for, for either a week period for, for some of the pharmacy final years or a two week period for some of the other professionals and <clears throat> stay on board and do the exact work that the health professionals that are now employed on the train are currently doing. So sure. um, assessing, intervening, and, and, and doing what they need to do on board the train and going out uh, into the communities and doing outreach. So, I mean, as a student myself, I, I, can, I can attest to the experience that I had and how it just changed my thinking. Clinically, it is such a great opportunity. As an M1, it was us coming on board the Pelopepa was the first time we saw clients. We hadn't been dished out our clients um, as yet in terms of our casework. So we arrived nervous as hell, not knowing what to do. And of course, you are supervised by a psychologist that's running the clinic. Sure. And when you leave two weeks later, that you are equipped not just with your counseling skills and your clinical skills but you're equipped with a deep appreciation for what is going on in reality in in a lot of the communities in our country so you come back then as a student into the rest of your m1 um, with that perspective it's it it for me was profound i got off the train we were stationed in bloemfontein at the time and i said i'm gonna come back here and look at you now. <laughs> and, and here I am back because I really, I really don't think that as a therapist, mental health professional, social worker, psychologist, that you would get a, a clearer picture of so many communities within the country in such a short space of time as you would that you get on the pillow paper train. So I really hope the students are able to come back on board. It's like being thrown into the deep end in terms of exposure to the diversity of our, of our country. I remember working at SADAG a little bit and receiving the phone calls, right? And thinking like, wow, this is really introducing me to, to the types of individuals that are phoning in and, and the sort of uh, becoming more understanding of, of aspects of the diversity in the country. But then again, you're only dealing with, you know, individuals that have access to phones or there's still a massive, massive area below that, that you are now working completely within and that, you know, the students would get training within or, you know, exposure to. So I think what, what important, like really, really important exposure that is um, and experience that is, uh, that uh, that students get some or some holding thumbs that 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 happens again going going forward. I mean, we'd be happy to have you on board, Dylan. <laughs> yeah, you better still be there when uh, when I do my internship, right? I'll I'll come and work with you. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> Cognition and Co. put together a mobile psychology clinic. I I, I can see it five years down the line, running. Um, I've, I've got make some it happen, plans. Dylan. I've got some plans. Um, earlier, I used the term mobile counseling unit, and it's definitely something within within Cognition Co's future. Um, <laughs> the the MCUs I'd like to get around the country. Uh, we'll chat to to some of the the the, the uh, car dealerships. 
anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, back to Transnet and their pillar pepper train. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, just what what incredible exposure to 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 the the, the various communities in the country is so needed um, and so important in terms of uh, a young psychologist training. Um, and I really hope that happens. Um, what what have things been like during COVID? I mean, you've you've you in particular have been doing this basically the whole way through COVID. How how's that? I mean, how's the reception of, of COVID in these areas as well? I feel like there might even be areas where they maybe didn't even know what was going on with COVID. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that finds a way to weave itself into most workshops that we run as a clinic. Uh, today, we actually, at the end of the day, we certainly debrief. We debrief our cases, we debrief our workshops, we put our heads together, we find a way to fill the gaps and we move on to the next day. And today what came up at our table was um, two sessions actually, where there were questions around, I've heard that if I take the vaccine that I could die two years later and that there is evidence for this, for example. And the person that presented in our session with that level of anxiety, was experiencing that stress to the point where she was so tense throughout her body, throughout her neck, throughout her back, throughout her, her shoulders. She had already taken the vaccine and she's now sort of riddled with the stress and struggling to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can't, I can't separate the pandemic from the work that we're doing. When we are doing workshops, at times we're, we're, we're requested to run a debriefing on COVID-19 specifically. And yes, we're coming in from an emotional perspective. And so you're there to to support what people have gone through on a psychological level. But naturally, questions about the virus would come up. Sure. And so it has been really important for us to, for example, to go to and partner with our health clinic, um, get information, um, make sure that we know what we are saying and that we have facts, scientific facts, to get out there in those sessions. We have very strict protocols on board in terms of, of course, our masks, our PPE, maintaining the distance. At times it's not possible to maintain a distance if you have an entire family in your consulting room. In that case, we make sure that we've got some ventilation. We make sure that we are, we do what we need to do in the clinic. But I really personally, and I think for, for our team as well, it's something that we think about all the time. So, when we go into a school, for example, we are sometimes perceived as a threat. We're health professionals, we're frontline workers. What could we possibly be bringing into the school? And then vice sure. versa, what could we as professionals be picking up at the school? So it's something, you know, you've got, and I think all healthcare workers can relate to this. And, and, and outside of healthcare workers, people that are working directly with COVID, it's, it's something you need to keep at the forefront of your mind, not, not get complacent about um, one of the cool things that we've done, which I really enjoyed this year, was before we started rolling vaccines out as a country, but as well as Transnet. Transnet um, currently have, we have three trains on the rails, by the way, Pillow Pepper 1, Pillow Pepper 2, and a train that's called Transvaco. Transvaco looks the same as our two trains in terms of the aesthetic, but it is a fully kitted out vaccination train, wow. which is prioritizing vaccinating our rural populations there in the Eastern Cape at the moment, but also just educating because we've got so much of misinformation and hesitancy around the vaccine. So um, they're doing really amazing work. And this year before Transvaco ran out, on both Pillar Peppers, we were vaccinating the communities that we were servicing. Uh, I can't remember when in the year, but probably around mid-year. And as psychology, we were then called in to do which there's no protocol on, pre- and post-vaccination counselling. Wow, that's interesting. Similar to pre- and post-test HIV counselling, which a lot of um, psychologists, social workers, counsellors are trained in. Mm. And we we used guidelines from pre- and post-test HIV counselling. And my colleague and I sat, we researched, we, we went to international local guidelines, and we drew up a vaccination counselling guideline and it was such an opportunity for us um, 
to step into a space where, yes, we're educating about the vaccine and holding that anxiety because a lot of people are stressed about this, this vaccine and just don't have the information. But also being, for me, I saw it as an opportunity as a health professional to sit with someone that maybe is coming to you to say, I'm stressed out about this vaccine. But while I'm here, I actually lost four people over the past two years to COVID. And all of a sudden, an hour has passed and you have processed your grief through coming in about your anxiety about a vaccine. And it was just such a, uh, a oh. great process for us as a team in psychology to have that opportunity. Uh, one of the highlights of my year, definitely. Again, I feel like you should be writing this down and publishing this kind of work, right? I think it's important this is that that sort of segue from like vaccination to grief or to other anxieties that that you somebody might be working with, I think is is an incredible sort of interjection or way to get in um, to, mm -hmm. to somebody's mental health. Um, again, we need to be publishing this stuff. <laughs> Sometimes we all need a little a little nudge to get to what's really stressing us out. And uh, it, it happens so often in the work that we do here. People will come in and say that I'm stressed about uh, my grandson. Actually, there's so much else going on. Um, and all it takes is for you to be received by a culturally informed, kind, compassionate therapist. And then 20 minutes later, you found yourself unraveling um, in a good way. So, yeah, I could talk for really, really long about how important this work <laughs> is. But, uh, yeah, the, the COVID is definitely something that's, that's, that's impacted us in terms of, I would say, the negative side of that this year has been having to stop our outreach at times when we had a new variant, yeah. when we were on lockdown. Uh, our operations in terms of going out was, was stopped. At times, our operations, even in terms of consulting, had to be stopped. Um, and so the up and down and the back and forth and us having to turn people away that are so desperate for our services, that was a struggle this year sure. specifically. And I think last year even more. The thing with COVID, um, and it speaks it speaks well to what you're saying, that sort of that, that spark into further areas in somebody's mental health, is that, you know, COVID is something that the world's kind of taken on quite nicely, right, in terms of uh, trying to understand it and this invisible virus that, you know, can, can like wreak havoc in your body, right? The same thing, the same analogy can be applied to mental health. And I think that's maybe why it was such a, such a good interjection where, you know, mental health is also something that's invisible and can't be seen by these individuals, but it can also destroy somebody's like functioning. And, um, and I think that that's such a, such a, a good metaphor almost to use that COVID can actually be seen as something beneficial in terms of mental health. If we can take on like the mask wearing um, vaccinations, all those things as easily as what a lot of us have, the same things can be done for mental health, you know, and the country can also start, start to shift towards that understanding of the fact that this isn't a physical thing. It's, it's, it's you know, on the inside, it's invisible. Um, and, uh, and it can really, can really have, have massive effects on us. Uh, so hopefully that's, that is something that's, you know, being seen by these individuals and the comparisons being made and, and hopefully, you know, we're starting to do some good in that area. Mm -hmm. I agree with you wholeheartedly on, on that from Dylan. As much as there's been devastation through this pandemic and still is, I think all people within the mental health and psychology fraternity, at some point we've had a moment where we've said to ourselves, okay, there's a lot of good that's coming out of this. Yeah. Um, in terms of focus on health and focus on mental health. I mean, even in the media, we, we see athletes coming out and saying, I'm struggling with depression, I'm struggling with anxiety. And yes, there's hype and it's sensationalized and Americanized and all of that nonsense. But still, the word mental health, depression and anxiety is out there. Yeah, they're becoming commonplace. Exactly. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that COVID has highlighted how our psychological and mental well-being well -being affects us. Yeah. I think it's here to stay. I, I think that's so. here to stay. I'm still waiting for Cyril Ramaphosa to, to mention mental health in one of our 
you know, family addresses. I feel like it's mm. it's it's going to happen soon. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I think it needs to be needs to be spoken about. It needs to be taken seriously at, at that level as well. So we'll see. We'll I see uh, if 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 Cyril will will chat about it at some point. Hope holding thumbs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we've covered we've covered so much here. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? I know that you had you've got some papers there behind you that <laughs> you wanted to to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we've. I, I think we've. Uh, I think we've covered quite a bit, Dylan. Um, at the moment, there's 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 nothing specifically outstanding about Pelipepa as a project. Um, I think you know it's come across in in how I've described what we do in psychology, but also just as a as a as a project as a whole. Um, our mission, you know, on Pelipepa and me, my personal mission as a psychologist, as well as through the psychology clinic is how do we going forward, whether it's through a project such as the Pelipepa or in your own personal capacity, and it doesn't have to be at scale. Mm. How do you in your day-to-day life, as someone that has psychological knowledge, either through professional training or through your own work, how are you translating that theory or that jargon to the people that are in your life, to the people that you work with in a way that they can connect some of the dots and then continue to pass the message on. I think we have a duty and responsibility as mental health professionals to do that specifically in a context like South Africa. So, you know, it's it's something that I'm constantly thinking about and inspired by through this project, despite the challenges, uh, despite the trauma, it, it's it's just really, really important, I think, for all of us as mental health professionals to take on. Yeah, I agree with you, um, especially from as, as mental health professionals, right? We, we There's definitely a massive role that we need to play in, in all of this. Um, and to, to individuals that are listening to this, and, and I really do hope that there are individuals that aren't necessarily psychology students or psychology professionals that are just regular human beings, like what can they do in their general lives to kind of improve this? And I think we need to think, we need to think long-term, right? And I think one big aspect of all of this is the inclusivity that comes with language. And it's something that through, through the work that I've been doing with my PGCE recently, is that language plays is such a such a ma- plays such a massive role in in you know the education side and it's something that education is focused on in terms of inclusivity um, a great deal uh, and I know that the universities in terms of choosing candidates for for their their M programs often look at language but I think that us as students and, and us as just regular human beings, we need, we need to put that, that effort into, you know, trying to better understand the languages that we work with, um, because I think that gives insight into the diversity that we're dealing with as well. I think, you know, putting yourself into that, that position of learning a new language or at least attempting has such like far-reaching consequences in terms of the future you know generations to come that we 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 can't even comprehend what they will look or think like you know but i think language is is a big key to unlocking a mentally healthy south africa in particular like the world yes but in particular because of the diversity i think language is is the number one thing that we can focus on at the moment as as just regular human beings, just putting yourself into that uncomfortable position of maybe learning a couple of sentences or just having an interaction. I mean, that in itself can be incredible. I agree with you completely on that, Dylan. Absolutely. It's 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 the only way to bridge the gap, you know. Yeah, um, at least the first step, right? Yeah, and to and to to find a way, not just linguistically, but in the language that you use around your emotions and your psychological world how do we find a way or put more effort into using language that isn't boxing that isn't stigmatizing that isn't uh, judgmental every single person whether you are as far from the psychological profession as possible. I'm trying to think of something that's super far from our profession. (laughs) Um, But whatever it is, every single person, if language is altered a little, 
and we are more open and inclusive. Um, I think that is the start of, uh, of the change in terms of awareness and just comfort of, mm. uh, of dealing with mental health issues. So, yeah, um, I think that's about it from my end in terms of psychomethylopepa. And I don't know if there's anything outstanding for you, Dylan, that you're wanting to chat about. Um, no, not in particular, but I think we really, we've, We've got some great insight into what the Bella Pepper is, what you guys do, the sort of the outreach initiatives that you have, um, and just in general, the, the amazing work that's being done there, not just from the psych side, but, you know, the entire platform, the entire initiative in itself, um, you know, really giving back to individuals that need it the most. I'm, I'm really appreciative for the work that you're doing. Uh, Leka, thank you so much for, for coming on to this podcast this evening to, to have a chat with us uh, about everything that goes on with Bella Pepper um, and just really, you know, giving us a better understanding as to, you know, what you guys put yourselves through in order to affect change in this country. Um, so thank you so, so much for everything that you do, um, besides obviously just coming on the podcast, but, but thank you so much for, for everything. I, I really appreciate it, and I'm sure those listening appreciate it too. It's such a pleasure, Dylan. Thank you for having me on. I'm really glad we were able to discuss a project for the of mental health, a bit of the counselling side, so I really appreciate you, the work you are doing to Commission and Co. You know, just a huge and deep respect for, for what you have been doing over the years, and I know will continue to do throughout your training as a psychologist and post. So all of that received and, and, and given back to you, and all the best for what's ahead for you too. I look forward to us continuing the conversation. A massive thank you to Lekka for giving us her time and, and joining us on the podcast today. Um, we're so, so appreciative. Um, to everyone that's still listening and, uh, and has made it this far, thank you so, so much. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. Over the next couple of days, I'll be putting together just a little update as to what's going to happen with the podcast going forward and, uh, and just recap you know, what we've been doing over the past two years with it. So um, keep an eye open for, for that and uh, I look forward to chatting to you guys then. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.